Okay, guys, listen up. Seltzer is all the rage these days, and now there's even hard seltzer. Speaking of which, have you tried Bud Light Seltzer? so good. It's seltzer with a hint of fruit flavor. And get this, it's only 100 calories, two grams of carbs, and less than one gram of sugar. Plus, it's gluten-free. It's perfect for when my friends are bugging me to have a drink with them, and I don't want hard alcohol. I can just have my Bud Light seltzer. Thank you very much. I'm obsessed with the black cherry, but it also comes in strawberry, lemon lime, and mango. I mean, make that sound better. I bet you want to try them all right now, right? This is making me extremely thirsty. Bud Light Seltzer, unquestionably good. I constantly hear from people that they can't lose weight. The diets don't work. Nothing works. They're born fat. And this is just absolutely not true. And I wanted to be able to help everyone discover the best way for them to lose weight. And I discovered that the best way to do that was to build an app that personalizes your experience in order to get you in the best shape of your life. No matter what level you're starting at, no matter what your dietary restrictions, no matter what your physical limitations, no matter what your level of fitness, I can build a personalized program that will help you reach your goals once and for all. There's a reason that my app has over 4,000 five-star reviews and countless success stories from people who used the MyFitness app to achieve their goals. You already know I know what I'm doing and that's why you're listening to this show. So you know what? Try it for free for seven days. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes or just visit JillianMichaels.com. I watched this um, really cool kind of like docu-series on Netflix called The Mind Explained. Mm. Have you seen this? No. They also have like a whole crazy docu-series with like different like, why haven't we met aliens? And, you know, it's like (laughs) something explained, a life explained, I don't know what, or like, why are we having a water crisis? But like this particular thing was like four episodes and it is like a bunch of neuroscientists and psycho psychologists that specialize in neuroscience. Like it was crazy fascinating. And I realize what a new, I mean, look, neuroscience is a new science. Yeah. These guys are <laughs> just, I mean, they're just starting to try to kind of, we think that these parts of the brain work like this. Like, it's truly... There's so much of the brain we don't use or know a thing about. So it's... It's crazy. And there's so many diseases where it's the brain dying off and the brain controls the whole body. So... Yeah, it, mama, it controls everything. But what I find the most fascinating about this, right, is the physical slash emotional connection like, what are thoughts and feelings? Mm. They're an electrochemical <laughs> cascade. Thoughts and feelings are physical, right? And apparently, each feeling chemically lasts for 90 seconds. Oh, wow. So then why do these things perpetuate themselves, right? And I, <laughs> I wrote a little bit about this in The Six Keys when it came 
to anti-aging and stress and how uh, we start to form these neurological connections um, where stress changes the chemistry of your brain and it changes literally the frontal lobe versus your amygdala, like the part of your brain that's more related to fear and anxiety grows and becomes stronger and the part that's more related to calm and impulse control becomes smaller. And it's like this vicious Mm. cycle, right, where you become conditioned to respond a certain way, conditioned to feel a certain way, conditioned to think a certain way because your neurochemistry, your neurological pathways, like anxiety, right? This crazy loop, this thought loop or worry, this insane thought Mm -hmm. loop, neuroplasticity is all real. That makes total sense. It it started with fight or flight. That is exactly what they covered, right? Is like how, like what's happening physically on the plains of the Serengeti Mm -hmm. when you see a lion, but like nowadays your lion is your 30-year mortgage, right? And you can't switch it off. Yeah, wow. And how, you know, then you get this like, this, you're in a constant fight or flight state, and we have like the sympathetic nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system, which everyone's heard of, right? One state is rest, digest, and one is fight or flight. But we get in this loop of constant fight or flight, mm. and it shuts down our digestion, which of course is going to lead to stomach problems. It kills our sex drive. Like it's, it is crazy how the, this the way that we get stuck in these loops mm. almost becomes a foregone conclusion. But what I found so fascinating about it is that at the same time, you know you could flip this script the other direction to make all of this work for you instead of against you. Mm. And that's one of the reasons that meditation is so powerful. Um, but then I, so then they had this whole thing on meditation, right? And they had this, this like Shaolin monk who's, I think, 43, but they said he had the brain of, like, a 33-year-old. And they do these, like, MRI brain scans on him when he's meditating. And he can literally, like, activate certain parts of his brain intentionally to breed compassion and empathy. Wow. It's fascinating shit. And they say that people who just begin, like, they don't see much benefit, right? You have to be an expert at it. Mm to get huge benefits. But if you think about, again, what they're saying with your brain, it's because you haven't restructured your brain yet. (laughs) So it's literally working out your brain to change the shape and size of certain parts of your brain, gray matter versus white matter, like carving different, I don't even understand it, but like literally different neuro connections in your brain of like the different synapses firing. And you, you have to practice it almost like if i go to the gym and i haven't worked out in forever i go to the gym once well you know you're not gonna see much right <laughs> you, just you go to the hurt. gym right, yeah <laughs> you go to the gym once a, once every week or once every two weeks yeah it's like it's not gonna do much you go to the gym four times a week mm. for three months you're gonna see a difference and the difference is massive wow. in their biochemistry in their health and well-being in their state of mind Um, and I just, it made me want to bring it up because I was looking at it with regard to 
anxiety and depression and feeling alone. And we've talked about this stuff so much on the show, but it's it's an epidemic. It is. It really is. And it's it's our way of life. It's it's society as we know it. And then it becomes a foregone conclusion. And even addiction, where it starts out right as a an emotional thing. Um, you know, we constantly like let's look at food addiction. We're always looking for a physical solution of this diet or that diet, but it's but it's a psychological mm. problem. You're overeating, period. Why are you overeating? Mm. But these emotions become ingrained habits and behaviors that are that much harder to break. So not only is it something that's got to be taken on with regard to like, hey, this is literally what you need to do, but then you need to like eat less, move more, choose this food, not that food. Like obviously try the chicken instead of the fried chicken, you know, the grilled chicken instead of the fried chicken. Why it's less calories, duh, but it's better for your health. Right. You have to look at why the person's turning to food in the first place on an emotional level, and then you have to retrain their brain. Mm. And yeah, you, you can make sense. You can do it not just through like repetitive behaviors, controlling your environment, building support, creating different associations with healthier foods on an emotional level. It's like Clockwork Orange kind of shit. Remember when they yeah. like they like conditioned him to think that murder and bad acts like would make him physically sick. Yeah. I mean that's yeah, insane, well, but but that's there's that medication they'll give to uh, smokers, to an alcoholic. Oh, an alcoholic that makes you throw up with any uh, it interacts with alcohol and you, and you it would make you throw up. Chantix does that to cigarette smokers. Uh, oh wow, it makes them super sick. But you know that also, I think I've asked you this over the years. Um, like, yeah. why is it the stuff? Like, why isn't anybody ad- addicted to veg- fruits and vegetables? You know, because um, it doesn't. It doesn't have that um, that release of dopamine and serotonin in the brain. That's what. Yeah, that, that's what I've the always way salt and sugar Because I had asked you, I had asked you that about like why is it donuts and and bad things and because it releases dopamine and serotonin amazing. and like pleasure sensors off mm-hmm. in the brain whereas like carrots obviously do not can you retrain the brain to react to that is something to be honest with you i just started looking into that That's i like went great. to barnes and nobles and buy a bunch of books on like neuroscience of which there are very few i went to the bookstore to try to buy a book bad idea <laughs> so then i was like All right. I, yeah i was like there's, there's literally nothing i think we may need to pay Sanjay Gupta a little uh, call, right? right? <laughs> I was like, this is such an interesting science. Like, can you not just take this on psychologically and, of course, literally with diet mm. and exercise, but can you come at this like, all right, behavioral, behaviorally, you know, you can, right? You can change your behaviors and create new habits and build new you know, thought patterns and pathways for that. But can you create a different emotional connection to mm. the food? And, I mean, of course you can. That's what sense memory is for actors, right? It's like, oh, right. I smell yeah, lavender yeah, and it reminds me yeah. of my grandmother because she wore lavender mm. perfume and it makes me feel sweet and sentimental. So I'm going to wear lavender during this scene or whatever. Like, you can absolutely retrain your brain. And smells are very specific and yeah. you can't really call them up the way you can a sound or a vision. Right. You, even a taste I feel like I can almost call up by but but an actual smell it's not until you 
walk by and smell that perfume yeah. somewhere that and you're it like, comes back. Oh, oh my God. It takes I me had, back yeah. to so amazing. Your brain makes those connections. Like this guy on the show was talking about how he was terrified of sharks as a kid from Jaws. And <laughs> I was like, oh God, me too. And he would think it was coming out of the bathroom drain. And I was like, holy shit, me too. And what he had to do was like go, he went like reef diving with like reef sharks and like a safe environment that allowed him to expose himself in a way where it was like he was with his wife. Exposure it therapy. Was positive. <laughs> yes. And like he it was able to take something that terrified him and make a different connection of like I'm on vacation. Positive. I'm mm. with my wife. I love her. Positive. Okay, this is cool. And like like connect two separate wow. wires, right? Yeah. So it's now like sharks positive instead of sharks terrifying. Mm. And I, that's, it got, I mean, I don't know the answers, but it got me thinking like, this is really cool. We can use this in positive ways instead of negative ways with things like meditation and retraining through our habits and, you know, forming different emotional connections. And it's something that I really wanted to research. I always wanted to write that like, this is why you're fat book, even though that's such a politically incorrect word, but it's like. It's not because of your thyroid, and it's not because of your genetics, and it's not because you weren't on the keto diet. It's because you overeat. Why have you been turning to food? Like, mm-hmm. what is the psychological reason? But I think there's also a psychological and solution, and a solution that's probably related to neuroscience, like this kind of retraining the brain. And then there's diet and exercise. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was super interesting. I, I do too. There's so many things I love about my Rothy's black loafers. First of all, they're like wearing sneakers because they're so comfortable. And second, they look great with everything I wear. And maybe best of all, they're actually knit using thread made from recycled water bottles. So they're not only stylish and sustainable, but Rothy's are also machine washable. So they're really the perfect everyday shoes. Plus, they come in an ever-changing choice of colors, prints, and patterns. And they're available in a bunch of different styles like sneakers, loafers, loafers, points, and more. And Rothy's always comes with free shipping, returns, and exchanges. So check out all the amazing styles available right now at rothys.com slash Jillian. That's rothys.com slash Jillian, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash Jillian to get your new favorite flats. Comfort, style, and sustainability, these are the shoes you've been waiting for. Head to rothys.com slash Jillian today. Rothys.com slash Jillian. There's so many paths to finding your family story, but whether you're tracing them generations back with a family tree or uncovering your ethnicity with Ancestry DNA, it's easy to get started with Ancestry. Ancestry DNA can tell you your ethnic origins and give you historical details to bring your family stories to life. And it doesn't just tell you what countries you're from, it can also pinpoint the specific regions. I was pretty sure I knew where my grandparents were from, and now that I've confirmed it with an Ancestry DNA test, I want to see how many generations back I can go. It was super easy to do. I got my kit, sent in my saliva sample, and they sent me my results. Give it a try. Start exploring your family story today. Simply head to my URL at Ancestry.com slash Jillian to get your Ancestry DNA kit and start your free trial. That's an Ancestry DNA kit and a free trial at Ancestry.com slash Jillian. One more time, guys. It's Ancestry.com slash Jillian. All right. 
I feel like I might sort of <laughs> eat a little bit of my words. Um, How many calories in those words? Right? Oh, yeah. Not a lot, fortunately. But uh, <laughs> there's a study that came out. And, of course, I haven't read the study. I just read an article about the study on something uh, called mindbodygreen.com. Um about how sugar, this is crazy, changes your metabolic profile. Okay, now I'm going to explain what I think that means. Um, And the reason I say I'm going to eat my words is because everyone's like, sugar's the devil, sugar's a drug, sugar's the devil, sugar's a drug. And I was like, "Eh, you know, (laughs) like, I mean, don't overeat. If you're not overeating, it's not really the devil, I mean, and I did always give the 80-20 rule of like, look, you know, try to make 80% of those calories better for your foods and 20% of it, you know, can be complete shit, preferably (laughs) organic complete shit. You know what I mean? But it's like, like we make the kids pumpkin bread because they are obsessed with Starbucks pumpkin bread. And, you know, Heidi was like, all right, you're giving the kids pumpkin bread for breakfast because like I would be running a little late. And she's like, can you... You know, I want organic pumpkin bread. I was like, I get it, I get it, I get it. So we found this recipe, and we make them organic pumpkin bread. Mm. It's pure shit, I'm sure. You know what I, I mean? It's like, <laughs> it's organic flour, it's organic sugar, it's organic baking soda, it's organic oil, canola oil, or whatever. Like, But it's not poison. Right. You know, it's sugar for breakfast. <laughs> They're super skinny, and I'm like, whatever. They're, you know, the kids are like crazy-ass fit, like... They want pumpkin bread, like, and it, by the way, it, it, they go downstairs and they pumpkin bread themselves. Like, they cut <laughs> themselves a piece of pumpkin bread while I'm still sleeping, and they make themselves breakfast. It's fantastic. <laughs> but, you know, I was always like, you know, the world's not going to end if the kids have pumpkin bread, like, whatever. Um, now, I don't have the facts on this, right? It doesn't talk about how much sugar and all this stuff, but this is interesting, okay? So check this out. The study... Published in the most recent edition of Nature Communications, again, this has obviously got to be some sort of medical journal, showed that when fruit flies are exposed to a high sugar diet of sweet glucose jelly, key metabolites in their brains became depleted. The metabolites called N-acetyl aspartate or NAA, and then they have another one called kynurinine or whatever, are associated with a healthy brain. So basically, these metabolites that are associated with brain health, right, were depleted. Um, So it comes as no surprise to learn that lower levels of them can have negative health consequences. They go on to talk about how, like, having lower levels of these uh, metabolites are linked to depression, how quickly these fruit flies (laughs) felt satiated. Uh, I swear to God, it says, which is bad news for their little fruit fly waistlines. (laughs) I swear to God, right? I mean, I don't know how you would measure the weight of a fruit fly, but obviously they kept eating. So what we found was a metabolic remodeling, explained the senior author on the study. It was a gradual accumulation from an early to a longer exposure. But by the seventh day on a high sugar diet, the fruit flies had completely had a completely different metabolic profile. 
I mean, we we see this all happen, right, with people that are consuming just yeah. nothing but sugar. They get type 2 diabetes, and that's linked to, you know, polycystic ovarian syndrome and infertility. And, and yeah, I mean, obviously, you're going to get sugar crashes, right, because it's like you, you've got, like, your pancreas dumping insulin into the body, trying to get the sugar out. And, okay, I, I, I mean, I can see how it would affect mood, I'm guessing, but, like, I've not actually read. Like, we do know that sugar's going to trigger the those dopamine sensors, mm-hmm. right? So is it possible that, like, when you're hammering that shit all the time, your body almost becomes resistant to that and you, you start to be prone more to depression? Again, I'm making all this shit up. Uh, I don't know, trying to understand yeah, yeah. why it would be linked to depression, but it does make sense, I'm guessing. Um, and we do know that your body can become leptin-resistant, which is a hormone that tells you you feel more full. But why are you overeating when you're eating a ton of sugar? Because... You eat a ton of sugar, A, it's triggering that pleasure center, so you're going to want more, but B, your body becomes insulin resistant. But, like, let's say you're eating a ton of sugar, your body dumps insulin and cleans all that sugar out of the blood, you now have low blood sugar again. Mm. I notice, like, I'll eat an acai Mm. bowl because I love them at my gym, and an hour later I need a turkey sandwich, I'm starving. Because it's so much sugar that my blood sugar's low. Because my body, like, dumps all this insulin to get all that sugar out of my blood. And then I'm, like, lethargic and tired. And so it's like, I'm, and now I'm like, I can't, I got to have it with, like, a, <laughs> I split it with Dushana and, it, and like, a chicken sandwich or something. <laughs> you know? So that doesn't happen. Wow. But, I mean, that's, I, it's no secret, but I, I'm always like, it's not the devil, it's not the devil, it's not the devil. And it isn't if you aren't over-consuming it. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you overconsume anything, it's going to make you obese. And obesity is related to all kinds of other health issues. We've talked about that before. It's like bears eat nuts, berries, wild salmon plants, and they put on enough fat to hibernate for six months or however long. So it doesn't matter. You eat too much calorie, too many calories, yeah. you will store them as fat, period. But this is a different game. Now we're, we're getting beyond, obviously weight and we've talked about the quality of your calories with regard to chemicals and mm. you know cancer and this and that the autoimmune and how fake fats and fake sugars and fake flavors and pesticides and herbicides are all dangerous to your body because it's not food but sugar i was like if it's organic it's sugar like eh, your body you know but not i mean if you're over consuming it or too much of your food allowance that that calorie allowance is complete shit like it's pretty significant here's the conclusion in total the authors found about 20 metabolites that were affected by a high sugar diet and next the team plans to figure out how these metabolites affect sleep learning and memory as well as food intake so that's a i mean holy shit right that's a big impact that's a lot yeah oh sugar Whether you're an elite athlete or an everyday all-star, sleep is vital to help you recover and perform physically and mentally. In fact, over 1,800 NFL players sleep on sleep number beds, improving their game with better sleep. And it's a great bet for couples because the Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed lets you set each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support. It even senses your movements and automatically adjusts to keep you sleeping comfortably through the night. 
Sleep plays a crucial role in your overall health, wellness, and performance. It restores you at night so you can be your best self tomorrow. A great day starts the night before. Come in during the fall sale where Queen Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed is now only $1,399. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL, and you'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 600 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Find one near you at sleepnumber.com slash Jillian. So it's guest time, Jillian. I love the way you I know, it to I, me like, I don't know. I never know how I want to do this. it's guest time, guys. Oh, God. <laughs> Hello, people out there. Yes. Today's guest, we have psychotherapist and anxiety specialist Ugh. John Silamparis, who is the author of Retrain Your Anxious Brain and the host of the new podcast, Mindfulness for the Soul. And we actually grew up together. I know, which is how we got such a great guest. <laughs> John, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. So I, I'm going to be totally honest with you, uh, which, I mean, I was planning on lying, but I, I think I'm going to be <laughs> totally honest. This is purely selfish on my part because for the first time in my adult life over the last several years, I have experienced anxiety. I never had it, and it, it can be truly crippling and I understand for the first time why somebody would get hooked on things like Xanax and not their clonopin, even though I have not very fortunately but it is the most debilitating feeling and so Cindy and I were talking about guests and she mentioned that she knew you and I begged her to get you on and I am so grateful that you are on and I just thought if we could maybe start out with you explaining to everybody like what actually what is anxiety and how many of us are suffering with it? Sure. Well, anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States. One in five adults, 40 million Americans, roughly 18% are affected each year. And for many, look, it's a serious chronic condition that can be very debilitating, as you just described. Yeah. It causes severe short-term and long-term negative effects. And left untreated, it can cause severe dysfunction in your everyday life. So for most people, when you have anxiety, it's this persistent, intense, worrisome, sometimes fearful thinking, sometimes obsessing, too, about everyday situations. It has both a cognitive component, which is I have racing thoughts, I fear I'm going to die, or I'm thinking mm -hmm. catastrophically. And then you have the somatic components, the rapid heartbeat, the labored breathing, the sweating, the choking, the dizzy sensations. and then A panic attack. Yes, and for some people, insomnia as well. So yeah. it cuts across every area of living. But the thing about anxiety is, is that it's a very complicated diagnosis because, or condition, because although so many are affected by it, it manifests very idiosyncratically, meaning it affects people in varying degrees. That's I was going to ask you that. And, like, are there different ways? But, 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 but please continue with the varying degrees part. Yeah, so it's very normal in stressful situations, and we need this. Uh, in public speaking situations, going on a date, taking a test. You know, I've watched you in your career, Jillian, and you uh, are very good at what you do because you have this intensity to you, and that has a little bit of anxiety that runs in there with, you know, I want to do well, I want to help people. You know, you're probably very focused and very, uh, and I mean this in a good way, obsessive about it. So, yeah, oh, beyond. Beyond obsessive. Yeah, yeah so 100%. Everyone's affected by it in varying degrees. And me, myself... I see a little of myself in all of my patients. You know, I'm the garden variety neurotic that's pretty high functioning. 
Are there different, like, is hypochondria anxiety? Is OCD anxiety? Is depression anxiety? Uh, No, depression is not anxiety. Depression falls under uh, a different category, but yes, OCD, PTSD, any Mm -hmm. kind of phobia, um, any kind of repetitive compulsive behavior is usually performed to mitigate anxious symptoms. So those are anxiety disorders, pretty powerful ones. And where does something like this come from? Like, I've noticed that it's it's like I I will wake up in the morning. That's when it gets me. Not at night because I'm usually so tired. But I'll wake up and it. I swear to you, it's like the heart's racing and there'll be a pit in my stomach about God knows what. Right? It could be like my horse hurt his eye recently and like might lose his vision in his right eye. And I'm like, for Christ's sake, Jill, like calm down. I have to literally talk myself off a ledge. I'm like, he's not. You know, right now his eye is okay. This hasn't happened yet. Like all that stuff about managing, work, but. Or it could be like a work thing that is stressing right. me out, a deal that's going to fall apart, or you know, responsibilities to employees or kids or family members. I mean, and it's like it's just, and I'm wondering like, what, what the hell? Because <laughs> we all are going to have these things, right? This is life. Life yeah. is like, right. you know, we're constantly getting tossed to and fro on this yeah. crazy. So what, what the hell can we do about it? All right, so the physiological component is that everyone has a fear center in the brain. It's called the amygdala, and it's kind of like your smoke detector. Right. So whenever the mind perceives a danger or a threat for you, your horse is important, your job's important, <sighs> whenever the mind perceives a threat, right, the alarm goes off. Now, sometimes it goes off simply because you're just going to be late for an appointment, but it feels like you have a gun to your head. So once the amygdala goes off, it sends out messages to the central nervous system, which secretes chemicals, which get you ready for fight, flight, or freeze. And that is a very primitive, very primal instinct that's been there since the beginning of time or whatever. And, you know, insects have it too. Every organism has it. If you didn't have it, you would have been hit by a car a long time ago. You'd be lousy at what you do. So it's all there. It's all there for a reason. It's just sometimes people have a faulty amygdala and it goes off too much. So in the morning for you, you're very much involved and obsessive about what you're afraid of and it's hard for you to separate oh irrational gosh. fears from rational yes. fears. And we, can talk, we can talk a little bit later about how we help people to reverse that, uh, even in the moment in the morning. Can this develop though? Because I always manage this stuff pretty well. And then I found that, like, as I got a little older and there was more on my plate, more on my plate, more on my plate, despite the fact that I was like, all right, I got to offload some of this stuff. This is, I've, you know, there's too much on my shoulders, too much can go wrong. It's, it's just, it's, I didn't used to have it. Like, can this just develop yeah. at any time in, yeah. in anybody or what? <laughs> it can. It can be, um... The ideology is, is that you're either born with a susceptibility to anxiety and eventually it's going to spike and manifest, mm. and or there are the environmental factors like, you know, growing up with abuse or, you know, seeing an accident or having some kind of trauma. So the idea is, is that the, the genetics loads the gun and then the environment pulls the trigger. Oh, wow. So I don't know your past, but you may have had some events in your life that may have affected you, and it, you know, trauma alters the brain, and so the brain never forgets. You know, I had some traumatic stuff going on when I was growing up with one of my parents, and I didn't realize how much it affected me until I was in my 20s. 
And so, you know, it's timeless. It could happen in your 40s, in your 50s. Um, and then they've done twin studies where, you know, kids are born in the same family. One kid is born with a susceptibility to anxiety, like I'm talking about, and another kid is not. Incredible. So I think genetics plays a big part, and maybe you're one of those people. My, uh, I do have a, a family member who has had uh, low-grade depression, anxiety, and I would always think to myself, thank God I don't have that. Mm. And yeah. then it's like as I got older and just took on more and more and started to feel more and more pressure, but then that kind of makes me wonder, like, is that stress and that's normal or like it when does that what's the tipping point on that for stress to anxiety the key word Jillian is impairment so if I'm stressed out about an appointment or doing a podcast with you um, anything (laughs) um, I I, I know I can handle that pretty much and maybe I have some butterflies but if my life progresses and these things happen all the time and I achieve what they call impairment and I suffer impairment meaning I can't fulfill role obligations in my life, I can't mm. take care of my kids, I can't go to work, okay. I can't function, then that's when um, I need to seek out help. But in the immediate sense, the anxiety that you feel is typically your friend. I know it's really uncomfortable and it <sighs> seems very contrary, <sighs> but it's your friend. You know, mm. what other people mention too is that maybe people are more anxious now, this is sort of on the fence, Maybe people are more anxious now because collectively, since 9-11, things have been very different, if you really think about it. So we suffered a recession, the housing market dropped, we've had more natural disasters, an increase in hurricanes, and as we know, certainly an increase in gun violence and mass shootings, a lot. So is that what's added to the collective anxiety? I don't know, because you could also say that, look, perspectives change, people are much more aware of anxiety, so that's a reason. And also, I think people are a little more evolved now, and the stigma about mental illness has decreased a little bit, and so sufferers are more comfortable coming forward and talking about anxiety and seeking for help. I was, that was going to be my next question, is like, no matter where you go, whenever this subject comes up, you hear about how the numbers have grown tremendously, and then you've got people hypothesizing, right? Is it yeah. this? Is it social media? Is it all the factors that you just mentioned? Like, And I'm wondering... Because now we're starting to see the prescription, right, of all these benzos. Like we had Lisa Ling on recently talking about how she did a whole special on benzo addiction. And mm-hmm. I mean, I have never in my life, like hate pills, hate drugs, hate feeling out of control. And for the first time in my life, I'm like, man, this makes perfect sense. I would love uh, to take something to not feel this way right now. Yes, and yes. Uh, what is it like? Should we, I mean, what do you recommend to cope with some of this stuff? Like, is that a good idea? Is it, I, I, I mean, because I went to see, when it got real bad during the beginning of my divorce several years ago, I saw a psychiatrist and this guy gave me trazodone, uh, clonopin, and Zoloft. And I was so afraid of those pills because my dad was a, pill popper that I was like, you know what? <laughs> oh, I'm just going to take, <laughs> I'm going to do the 25 milligrams of Zoloft and like, let me see how I do. And uh, you know, I, I was able to like get off of it in about a year, but I mean, holy shit, the guy gave me enough drugs to kill an elephant. And I am like, should I have taken them? Should I not? Like what, what other, and I was also working with, a, with my therapist as well, but I'm wondering like, what does the average person do? Cause right. 
This is this is everywhere. Other than get your book, by the way, guys, which is called yes. Retrain Your Anxious Brain. Um, with that said, which I am actually, I've ordered on Amazon today, by the way. But uh, I know you can't give the whole thing away, but can you like kind of highlight some of it for yeah. us? So I'll give you a couple of uh, very important key tips. But first, I just want to say, be careful with the benzos. This is for you and anybody that suffers from anxiety. If you have a history of addiction or you tend to be a compulsive person, you have to be careful with benzos. That's Klonopin, Ativan, Xanax, Valium. These are, um, they work on the pleasure pathway of the brain, and they work great, as you probably found out. They work really, really good. It's like you've had a couple of beers without the calories and without the toxicity of the alcohol. But things like Zoloft, antidepressants like Zoloft, Lexapro, Selexa, those are not addictive. They work on the limbic system of the brain, and those are good to take. Those do not have the long-term negative effects. It's better to not be on medication, and it's better to do the treatment, which I'll talk about in a minute, because that has longer-lasting effects. You have to imagine medication as smoothing out the rough edges of a sharp table. Like if the end of a table is really sharp and you sandpaper it, that's what the medication does to your symptoms. It smooths them out a little bit but it does not make the problem go away. It allows you to function and sort of puts a floor under you so you can do the work you need to do, but still take your kids to school, show up at the office, and not be debilitated, right? Because that's exactly what it helped me do when I was on it for that brief period. And some people don't like it because they flatline a little bit, meaning they don't usually cry in a movie when they usually... I mean, they don't cry in a movie when they usually do, or they feel a little bit, you know, too neutral and too flat, and they miss their emotions, but... Medications don't usually do that. It's good to take it for four to six months, reset, you know, get back on track, and then continue with the therapy. All right, so do you want me to talk about a little bit about what we do with people in the immediate sense? Okay. Please. So one way to understand the anxiety is to understand the nature of worry, and worry is something that we all do. Think about it, Jillian. There isn't anything that human beings do compulsively that doesn't give you a benefit. You and I could talk forever, and we would never come up with something that you do all the time that doesn't give you a benefit. So worry does the same thing. Worry says, you know what? If I worry enough about something, and I mean anything, bad things won't happen to me. I'm safer that way. So it makes sense. Nobody's a fool or an idiot for having anxiety and for worrying. So you have to understand it to help uh, to see, you know, in a compassionate way that instead of beating ourselves up about it, that we obsess because it makes us feel good. I've never heard that before, ever. And I'm constantly trying to, like, switch it off, quiet it, stop it, like, push it down, go away. And it's, I've never, ever heard that before. And yet I worry like a chess game. I'm playing out this scenario, that scenario. This I feel like I'm playing war games in my head with this kind of shit. It's crazy. Correct. Yeah. So uh, it's there for a reason. And so one has to be a little open-minded about, you know, the following, meaning uh, these are different ways of thinking that exacerbate the worry. And are people born thinking this way? No, I think it's a learned behavior. So remember, the mind is like a parachute. It doesn't work unless it's open. Mm. And for this therapy to work, your mind has to be very open. So there's three types of thinking that cause a great deal of anxiety. They're called cognitive distortions or abstracts, so to speak. Remember, cognitive distortions are pretty much unverifiable thoughts that are disguised as facts. 
One is an excessive need for control. Again, getting back to you and I. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, that's the one. Oh. Huh. Remember, uh, okay. control, control has brought you a lot of success. I know it. Yeah. I just know it. Yeah. It has to be. It has to be. So control means I do not like uncertainty. Uncertainty causes distress. We don't like distress. Human beings are very attached to feeling good, and we are averse to feeling bad. So excessive need for control means I don't like uncertainty. I love guarantees. Ooh, I love guarantees. And I want to know the outcome of everything. That's number one. Do you relate to that one? Oh, my God. <laughs> do, you, do you ever watch that show Fleabag? Yes. You know the older sister, Claire, who planned her own <laughs> surprise party? Yes, I'm Claire. Exactly. 100%. I am Claire. Brilliant. Yeah, Brilliant. I, really, I relate to what you're saying. <laughs> All right. That's number one. Number two is perfectionism. And again, it's not a bad thing. They're all good. <laughs> perfectionism means I live in a world of duality. It's all or nothing. I succeeded 100% and I kick butt all the time or I fail at 96%. I'm smart or I'm stupid. I'm successful or I'm a failure. I'm strong or I'm weak. Perfectionism. No gray areas in my life. You relate to that one. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, I know better, but uh, yeah, very unfortunately, yes. All right. Again, I think it's brought you success. And then the third one, <laughs> I'm not so sure you have that much of, but maybe you do. This is relying on others for approval or people-pleasing. Mm. I want everybody to like me. I don't want anybody to be disappointed in me. And I don't want anybody to ever be mad at me. God, I, I relate to I, strangers. I don't care what they think of me. People in my life, I am extraordinarily codependent. I never want to let them down. I never want them to think I'm a bad guy. I, I want to, like, be the hero in their world 100%. Like, if someone doesn't like me online, I couldn't care less. But if you're in okay. my life, like, I'm horribly codependent with you. Okay, so you may not know how much anxiety that causes you. You may not have any idea how much that causes you. So, um, so put these three together, and what you have is a perfect storm for anxiety. <laughs> oh, my God. Jillian, so, the perfect storm. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I feel it, too, dude. Yeah, but. Wow. So that means, and here comes the, the moment where you need an open mind. That means that whatever you're worrying about, the context is irrelevant. It's the way that Jillian is relating to the context. So mm. I could be worried. I'm 58, and sometimes I worry about my health. It's not so much my health I'm worried about. It's that I'm worrying about it in this controlling way where I always want guarantees about it. I need to feel perfect every day. That makes me anxious. Do you see what I'm saying? I do, yeah. So the Greek philosopher Epitectus said, it's not the things in life that trouble us. It's our opinions of these things or our interpretations of these things. <laughs> mm. So it's the way I am relating things. And that's what the book's about. That's, it talks about how you can unearth and cultivate these ways of thinking. And there's a few others, too, but these are the top three to help reduce anxiety. If you can do that every morning and check in with those three concepts, I promise you your day will be a little less anxious. Wow. Uh, John, I, I, I literally, <laughs> I'm going to start listening to the book on my way <laughs> <laughs> and I'm in the middle of Testaments, the Margaret Atwood sequel. So the fact that I'm putting that aside for this is a big is a big deal. And I would encourage everybody. Like I think we should 
listen to this together so we can discuss it um, because I know so many of you guys are going through this. We've been uh, we've been addressing this throughout the year off and on in different ways on the podcast and I see your comments on social or your questions coming into the podcast and I know so many of us are feeling the same pressures and the same stresses and also John tell me about your podcast. It's brand new mindfulness for the soul we only have two um actual podcasts in there itself just now um it's about this work it's really cognitive behavioral therapy as well as the mindfulness part remember cognitive behavioral therapy addresses the way that you think about things the way we Mm -hmm. just discussed and then mindfulness addresses uh teaching you a different relationship with discomfort like i said before like look at your worry in a different way and look at the way you're relating to something in a different way this is all about that. So, for example, your worry that you just described, there's an old quote that says, some kind of Japanese proverb that says, leave your front door and back door open, let thoughts come and go, just don't serve them tea. <laughs> right. So what I do is I, I don't serve them tea. I give them a five-course meal sometimes. <laughs> oh. And I let, I let them move in. They, like, move into my house. I <laughs> where? Unless I'm aware. So the podcast is about that. It's giving you tips to be more aware of your uh, anxious thinking. I love it. I'm going to download those two as well. I cannot wait. And I cannot thank you enough for coming on. And would you please come back? You're fabulous. Anytime, please. Anytime, really. Guys, get the book, Retrain Your Anxious Brain, and download the two podcast episodes that are already up, Mindfulness for the Soul. Thank you so much, John. You're the best. Okay, guys, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you get it weekly. You don't even have to think about it on iTunes or Spotify or wherever else you're listening. Listening.